0: Son of the Holy Spirit, Amen. Please be seated. It's always wonderful to have John 3.16 come up in our lectionary readings, isn't it? This verse has probably been memorized by more people. It's probably appeared on more billboards and probably even appeared in more tattoos than any other verse in the entire Bible. There's something about this verse that everyone simply loves, from the churchgoers to the backslidden, even to those hardcore bikers who might have it tattooed on their arm. We all love this verse. Perhaps it's because it's the verse that maybe we think best demonstrates the love of God for us and his creation in one simple, concise sentence. But to say that John 3.16 is the most loved verse isn't necessarily to say it, that it's the most applied or understood verse. Unfortunately, it's rarely taken in its context. It has to be read in its entirety with, with all of the chapter of three, with, with the entire gospel. But then again, I suppose there's only so many words you can fit on your arm if you're having it tattooed, so <laughs> you can't have the whole chapter. It's not the bikers. Uh, fault, uh, we'll say. But often we treat, uh, well, how do we often treat John three sixteen? Often it's our it's our go-to verse for evangelism, right? How do you tell people about God? Well, you go to this first, you say, God so loved the world, that's you, God so loved you, that he gave his only begotten son. That's not a bad plan. In fact, all of the coaching lessons on evangelism often center around this, this one verse. Now, what's interesting is if, if we're thinking about evangelism, if thinking about spreading the gospel, if we look at our city of Chattanooga, if we had out this map, big map in front of us, which neighborhoods would we circle that we think should, should hear John 3.16? If we had no fear of losing our lives, if we were very, very brave, which of those neighborhoods in, in Chattanooga would we go into? Well we'd probably select those neighborhoods that are proverbially or sometimes literally on the other side of the train tracks. Those neighborhoods that have the violence, that have the drug deals, that have the prostitution. Those are the people who need to be born again, right? They're the ones who need John 3:16. These are the people who are emotionally broken. They're physically abused. They're often uneducated and on welfare. If we're charitable, we might say that they're the victims of a cycle of abuse and poverty. They're the ones who need the gospel. They're the ones who need to be born from above or or born again. Let's go to those neighborhoods. Let's go to East Chattanooga. Let's go to East Lake. Let's fill in the blank. Let's go to Orchard Knob. Let's go to those neighborhoods and give them John three sixteen, but what's interesting, friends, is when we look at the larger context of John's gospel here, precisely John chapter three. Who was it that the person that Jesus originally spoke John three sixteen to? Who is this Nicodemus? Well, we're going to treat that in just a moment. But you see, sometimes when we think about John three sixteen, we we assume that uh, Jesus said this to that prostitute jesus said it to that that demon possessed man who who really needs the gospel nope jesus said it to nicodemus jesus said it to the leader of the jews he said it to the man sitting on the sanhedrin in our culture particularly the the chattanooga culture nicodemus would be one of the people who have graduated from Baylor or Macaulay. He would have an Ivy League Ph.D. He would have his membership at the Maker Patent Tennis Club. He would have one of those yachts that we all like to look at on the river by the North Shore. And his zip code would have come from the mountain. Jesus spoke John 3.16 to this man. We might think that the people of East Chattanooga need the gospel, we need that born again experience. But Jesus says, so does this man. But why? He's the opposite of an emotionally broken person, he's the opposite of generational poverty. In fact, he's quite content. He may not even be looking for anything. On the other side of the coin, he doesn't need any moral guidance, he has a reputation above reproach. Think about all of the laws in the Old Testament that we're so glad that we're freed from. Think of all of those laws, add so many more to them. This man would have been a master of all of them. He's not the person that we tend to think of who needs to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, all of this doesn't make a bit of sense if we think that being born again is the process of, of when people clean up their lives, might we say. That we think that this is when the younger generation embraces the tried and true traditional values. Kids begin saying, yes sir, no ma'am, and everything else that comes with that. Well, here's Nicodemus. He's as traditional as you get. He's as clean as you get. He's the epitome of moral living. You look to him to know how to behave. What could Jesus possibly offer him? What could Jesus possibly offer to North Chattanooga? What could he possibly offer to the mountain? But Jesus comes and says to him and to them, you must be born from above. You must be born again. You see, Jesus, he's he's widely embraced by our city, even by the American culture still, even by many parts of the world, but only as a teacher of morality and as religion. So often we do. We come to Jesus and say, you are a teacher who has come from God, just as Nicodemus did. So often we come to Jesus and ask him for help in this area or that area to fix this little problem or or that slightly larger problem. We call Jesus teacher, But, friends, that falls far short of the true understanding of his nature. As one theologian puts it, Jesus' call is not to morality and to religion. It's actually a challenge to morality and a challenge to religion if you think that is what saves you. Here's a man, Nicodemus, who already has the morality. He already has religion. And just Jesus says to this man that it means nothing before God. What's Jesus getting at here? What's he really saying? Well, plain and simple, friends, he's saying that everyone needs to be born again. It doesn't matter where you've graduated from. It doesn't matter the good deeds that you've done. It doesn't matter your emotional stability. It doesn't matter your impeccable record. All of that means nothing before God if you haven't been born again. You see, friends, what's really happening when we take out the map of Chattanooga and we circle those neighborhoods that we think need to, need to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ? Very few of us would actually circle our own home. It's a defense mechanism, friends. Anytime we draw dividing lines between us and them, it's a defense mechanism. When we think that becoming a Christian only means better and more morality, it's a defense mechanism, especially if we already have that morality. We're saying, I I already got it. I don't need John 3.16. They do. I don't need to be born again. They do. Thanks, but I'm good. Look at my driving record. Look at my giving statement. I'm already okay. So thought Nicodemus. But Jesus is saying this. Whether you live on the mountain or you live in government-provided housing, whether you fish from a yacht or from a beat-up canoe, we all have the same standing before God. Now hear hear me straight here, friends. There's nothing wrong, intrinsically wrong with living on the mountain unless you think it gives you an advantage before God. It doesn't. But wherever you live, for anyone to know God, you must be born again through faith in Jesus Christ. Everyone, no exceptions. You see, for in salvation, being born again, coming to faith in Jesus Christ, it isn't a matter of making someone better. It's not the process of reforming one's behavior. Now, that very well may be a consequence of being born again, But that's not what being born again means it's not a self-help process it's not a reformation just look at what paul says in our lesson from ephesians you were dead in your trespasses and sins this is what you were this is what we all were before god and let me tell you friends dead things don't reform very well i once had a flower in my garden That was clearly dead, but for some reason I didn't want to accept the fact that it died. And and I tried what I could do to nurture it along. I watered it, I made sure it got all the sunlight that I needed. I even pruned it, whether it needed it or not. (laughs) I tried to help it as much as I could, but friends, if it's dead, it's dead. It cannot be revived. It cannot be reformed. All the help in the world will do it no good. And that is exactly why, friends, Christianity is not a matter of moral improvement or help. It's actually about resurrection. It's about new life, not reformed life. It's about new birth. It's about God being rich in his mercy toward us. In making us alive together with his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. You see, friends, that's why the metaphor of birth to the Christian faith is so fitting. This language of being born again. Now, now, unfortunately, there's many misconceptions that come with that language, and it's often tied to this incredibly emotional experience, and that makes some people think, well, if I didn't have this emotional experience in my faith and am I really saved. Well, friends, take all of that and throw, throw it away, throw it to the side. You may be emotional, you may be not. But your emotions are not indicative of God's activity in your life. And that's precisely the point of the phrase, being born again. You see, friends, I've, I've only witnessed one live birth in my life to be there in the room. And at least from my perspective, Elsie, my daughter, did not birth herself. Lauren, her mother, did. She birthed the baby. The mother does the work. Such is the case for spiritual birth. It's not something that we do to ourselves. We aren't reforming what we already have. It's an entirely new life that happens to us. Let me say that again, friends. Being born again is it's not something that we control or apply to our lives. It happens to you. Just as a mother does the work of birthing a baby, God is doing the work in your spiritual birth. That's why everything Nicodemus has done and been doesn't matter before God. That's why everything you and I have done and been doesn't matter before God. But that's precisely why everything God has done and been in our lives does matter. You see, friends, when Paul says that we are dead in our sins from our lesson in Ephesians, he's really placing us in the story of of Numbers, our first lesson this morning. We don't have time to treat this passage as we we should, but suffice it to say, the Scripture, especially in the Old Testament, often have echoes within itself. It often has analogies within it. So let me ask you, This passage has to do with serpents, and it's really scary and and strange. But let me ask you, when is the first time that you read about a serpent in the Bible? Right. It's in the creation account, isn't it? It's when the serpent, the devil, deceives Adam and Eve, and sin comes into all of the world. Well, friends, the bite of this serpent is sin, and the result is death. We all have been bitten. We all have died a spiritual death. We all are on the same playing field and we all have the same need and that is to look to Jesus Christ who was lifted up, the Savior of the world. He is the way that God has provided for us to have life. He is the way that God has provided for us to be born again. Sin still matters and it's very real but for sin to be defeated it had to do its worst. And it did its worst to Jesus Christ, and He overcame it so that you and I might have life. So what's the takeaway today, friends? A couple of things. First, if you are sitting in your pew and you're thinking to yourself, "You have no idea the bad that I have done." well, stop thinking, because the point of these last 12 minutes, the point of the gospel passage, is that it doesn't matter. The good news, actually, is that you are not even the slightest bit behind the most moral person living in the world today. Because you both need Jesus. You both need to be born again. So place your faith in Jesus and talk to me after the service. Second, if you're sitting in your pew and you, you've always thought about faith and the gospel with those defensive mechanisms, those, uh, those categories of us versus them, If you thought yourself to be a moral person, moral enough only to need a little help here and there, then stop fooling yourself. Jesus didn't come to teach you. Knowledge isn't going to save you. Jesus is. You are just as dead in your sins as the rest of us. If that's you, stop treating Jesus as your teacher only and trust him as your savior. Third, if you do trust Jesus and him alone as your savior, praise God, and remind yourself of that. It takes humility to look outside of ourselves to a God for our salvation and life. But don't think that that makes you any better than any other person living today. We are all sinners saved by grace. Reread our second lesson from Ephesians. Keep the humility. The faith of the Christian life needs and thrives on humility. Finally, friends, look at what Jesus says that comes with with being born again. Look at verse 3. He says, Very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God without being born again. But the opposite must be true too, right? If you are born again, then we can actually begin seeing the kingdom of God. So if you are born again, start imagining it. In your families. Start dreaming the kingdom of God in your relationships. Start envisioning what the kingdom of God might look like here in Brainerd. And friends, let's go work for it. Let's build for it. You see, friends, what you get with the new life that comes from being born again is a new way to see the world. You don't have to see it in hopelessness and despair. Since that new life comes from God to us, we can actually begin seeing the world the way he does. You can begin seeing it as his creation, and we can begin reclaiming it for his kingdom. This is the mission, the mission that comes with the new life. We have work to do, friends, it's not only for heaven. So let's live the new life we have now, today. Amen.